Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. ready to hear a word from the word? All right. Well, if you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is this. It's not what you think. Now, some of y'all are wondering, what is the title? No, no, that is the title. (laughs) The title is, it's not, everybody say it with me. It's not, it's not what you think. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, thank you for your word. Come on, let's lift our hands to the King of Kings. Lord, we lift our hands to you, Father. Son, Holy Spirit, we yield to you. We thank you for being present here today with us, God. And Lord, I pray that you would do a special work in this place, or though it's dreary and raining outside, Lord, I pray for the fire of your word, the fire of the Holy Spirit to be present here in us. And Lord, I pray that you would awaken us this morning to the reality, the greater reality and vision of who you are, Jesus. I pray that you would do such a great work in here, more than we could ask, think, or imagine more than we could think. And so we pray this now. I pray for eyes to see, hearts to feel, Lord, to to know you, to see you, Christ, for who you are. And we pray this now in the awesome, exalted name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. All right. Well, I love Christmas time for so many different reasons, but this time of year is so nostalgic for me because honestly, as I reflect back on my childhood, I had an incredible childhood, and I love Christmas time because my parents, especially my mom, it's usually the moms, isn't it? The moms go out of their way to make Christmas special. And as I think back on my childhood and Christmas time, um, I, I just have, I'm just flooded with great memories. Raise, raise your hand if that's true for you. If Christmas time as a child was awesome, it's not always true for everyone, but for many of you, that, that, that was true. Well, as I think back to Christmas time when I was a, a kid, well, some of you are going to be old enough to remember this, but uh, we got in the mail, we received in the mail, uh, it was a magazine, and it was the Service Merchandise magazine. Come on, old people, let me see your hands if you remember Service Merchandise. Young people, look around. Old people, keep your hands up. You're old. If you have your hand up, you're old. Okay, just admit it. Okay, wise, you're wise. Okay, uh, Service Merchandise. Did they have one local here in Lafayette? Where was it? All those hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Service merchandise. I mean, back in my hometown, we, we had one. Um, in Nashville, they had one. Um, but we also got the Kmart catalog, or a little little paper in the mail, Walmart. And, and I, we would get these in the mail, and come Christmas time, I would look through the, the relevant section, toy section, bike section, whatever, and I would get out my marker, my pen, and I would draw a circle around what I wanted for Christmas in the magazine. Did anybody else do that? And then I would present my list. I had my Christmas list that I presented to my parents. And then there was the Santa, the Santa list. Okay, that's another story, okay? Let me just say this, though. I presented my list to my mom pretty early, usually right after Halloween. I got excited about what I wanted for Christmas. Well, uh, let, let me just confess something. I was a snooper. And what I mean by that is... I presented my list to my mom, and then, like, as soon as Christmas time came around, like, I would be busy snooping in the house trying to discover early on what she actually bought me. Were there any snoopers? Any snoopers? Okay, I was a big, big snooper. One Christmas, I found everything that I asked for from both my parents and Santa. 
That's another story. Okay, I'll let y'all work that out later. I felt so bad. Sorry, kids. I felt so bad because my mom walked in. I found all the gifts. I'm like, Mom, I'm so sorry. I found everything. She's crying. I'm upset because she's crying. Uh, but uh, anyway, I, I would look. I would snoop. And, and then I remember how... Uh, right before Christmas morning came, like I would get under the tree, I would pick up all the gifts, and I, I like to pick them up and shake them. And my mom would write shorthand on the side of what was in in the package, in the box. Do any of y'all do that? Any moms? Okay, she had like shorthand, like things just to remind her of what was in the packages. Well, I would pick up those gifts, shake them, and and let me just say this. On Christmas morning, if, if there's a, a, a big round ball or heavy ball wrapped in paper with a bow on the top, it doesn't take a genius or someone with a word of knowledge to know that's a bowling ball. You, you know that. Some, some gifts are obvious, right? Some gifts are super obvious. But I think we probably all had those moments at Christmas time when we thought we knew what was in the package, but then once we opened the package, we discovered that, well, it was not what we thought it was for the better or for the worse, I don't know. But, but, but that's, that's kind of the way it is around Christmas time. How many of y'all know sometimes the best gifts come in the smallest packages? And, and, and it can be a little, bit, a little bit deceiving because the wrapping and the packaging can be deceiving. Well, this is true at Christmas time, but this was also true in the story of Mary and Joseph, if you read it from the Gospel of Matthew. For example, if you remember the story, Matthew tells us that Joseph and Mary were betrothed. Okay, that's not full marriage, but it's pretty close. Okay, they were under contract to be married. But all of a sudden, we're told that Mary was found to be with child. She was pregnant. And as the story goes, Joseph discovered this and he wanted to put her away quietly, that is, to divorce her, to break that contract. Because as he looked at the package, as he looked at the wrapping, as he looked at the situation with Mary, it seemed like the child that was conceived in her was from another man. So we're told that Joseph wanted to divorce her quietly. But if you know the story, the angel appeared to Joseph in a dream and essentially, well, here's what he said. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, do not fear, Joseph. To take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her, let me add, it's not from another man, it's from the, what's it say? The Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, don't divorce Mary. It's not what you think. There's more to this than what your eyes can see. How many of y'all know that's true in life in many ways? John Piper said that God is, is at work doing 10,000 things in your life right now, and you're probably aware of a handful of those things. There's what we see, and then there's what God's doing behind closed doors. How many of y'all are thankful that God has been working behind the scenes, behind closed doors, in your life to bless you long before you ever saw it come to fruition? God was at work in your life. That's the kind of God we serve. He is always, yeah, there you go. He's always at work, and we can't always see it. As a matter of fact, going back to, wasn't that an incredible testimony? The, the single mom whose trailer burned down? Like, there's what she saw, then there's what God was doing in the midst of it all. 
There's what you see in your marriage. There's what you see in your situation. And it can look bleak. It can look glum. The wrapping may indicate that there's not much there. But how many of y'all know if God is in it, there's a blessing there for you. You have to have his eyes to see what's there. Y'all picking this up? So we see this. We see this at work in this first Christmas story with respect to Joseph and Mary. And the angel, in so many words, said, Joseph, I know it seems to be one way, but it's not really what you think. God is in this. This child is conceived by the Spirit. And how many of y'all know God is the God of surprise? I like to call it the Jesus juke. <laughs> you think he's going one way and he jukes and goes another way. The Jesus juke. I don't, that wasn't in my notes, but it was in my head. Y'all know what I'm talking about. It's like you think you got God figured out, and then it's like he jukes you, right? And you need his, his, his perspective to actually see what's going on. How many of y'all would agree that God is a God of surprise? How many of you all would agree that God is really good at bringing us to our knees and keeping us on our toes? <laughs> That's just the kind of God that he is. But as we read on in this story, we discover that, well, of course, Joseph and Mary, got, they got married. And, of course, Mary conceived. She conceived and brought forth Jesus into the world. And we don't know all the details, but if you go on and read the story, it's safe to assume that Joseph and Mary, well, they settled into a new routine. Uh, Joseph, I'm sure, was ready to get back to work. Mary was ready to build her nest, so to speak. And more than anything, I'm sure that they were fired up about being parents to Jesus. Now, hey, parents, if you got teenagers, if you have young kids, how many of y'all know that can, there's, there's a lot of pressure there? Would y'all agree with that? There's a lot of pressure to raise good, godly kids these days, okay? But, I mean, think about this. Uh, think about what it would be like to raise God. <laughs> you know, you're raising the Messiah. On one hand, it'd be easy because Jesus was perfect. But on the other hand, I would think, we don't need to raise him. He needs to raise us. He's God in the flesh, you know? But, but we read this story, and we have to you know, kind of fill in the blanks in certain places because Matthew and Luke and the others, they don't give us all the details. But they did. Mary and Joseph did. They settled into a season, and they thought, I'm sure, that things were going to be, well, somewhat normal for them. But as we read the story, as you even heard me preach last Sunday, all of a sudden, we're told that a, an angel appears to Joseph again in a dream, and he says to him, okay, basically, Joseph, I need you to get up and get out of here with your child, with Jesus and Mary, because Herod is about to put this child to death. I want you to flee to Egypt. And, and this is incredible. Don't miss this. Because the angel spoke to Joseph in a dream. This dream and Joseph's obedience to it kept Jesus, Joseph, and Mary from a real-life nightmare. How many of y'all are thankful for God's providence in your life? Him speaking to you from the word, by the spirit, warning you of things to come. Saving you, delivering you from things that are to come. How many of y'all know God loves you and he is the God of protection? He goes before you and he is your rear guard. How many of y'all are thankful for that? Well, this dream, this dream saved them from a nightmare, so to speak. And we're told in the story that, well, Joseph obeys the angel, which is really obeying God himself. And Joseph, he takes Jesus and Mary and they, they flee to Egypt. And they live there for a time. And they live there, well, until Herod died, until the threat was removed. And Matthew says this in chapter 2, verse 15, this flight to Egypt and then out of Egypt was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet from Hosea. Out of Egypt I called 
my son. How many of y'all know God's really good at calling people out of Egypt? He, 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 he sent Jesus to there for protection, but then he called Jesus out of Egypt. For us, Egypt doesn't represent a place of, of, of comfort and refuge. For us, scripturally, Egypt is a place of bondage. How many of y'all are thankful that Jesus has called us out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery to sin? He's delivered us from it so we can come out fully forgiven, fully pardoned, redeemed. We are new creations, equipped by the Spirit to do new things. Come on, y'all. He delivers us from it all, okay? So, so, so God, God in, a, in a sense, he sent Jesus into Egypt, but then called him out to grow up, of course, to eventually die and to be raised from death to set the captives free. Matthew says, well, this, this call out of Egypt was to fulfill what was spoken earlier. But, but here's what I want you to see. This is so good. Matthew goes on to write, Matthew chapter 2, verse 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. Everybody say Nazareth. He went and lived in a city. Some scholars call it a, a village. I mean, it's not a very big place, as you're about to see. But he went and lived in a city called Nazareth so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, there's a lot to this story. It seems like Jesus is all over the place. He's in Bethlehem. Then he goes to Egypt. He leaves Egypt with his parents. But, but then they settle, they settle in this place called Nazareth. Now, just to give you a picture here, Nazareth was not a very impressive place. Nazareth did not have a Sam's. They didn't, it did not have a Costco. You don't like it already, huh? <laughs> Listen, Nazareth had a Dollar General store, a Walgreens, a Sonic, and three red lights. I'm just teasing. There were four red lights. Nazareth was a small place, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm being silly. For those of you who might not be tracking, there were no red lights back then. Okay, but um, it was a small place, an obscure place. Uh, it had about 700 people living in it. Now, how many of y'all know that's very small? Now, raise your hand if you're from a small town. Raise your hand if you're from a, a town that small. 700, okay. Well, th I mean, this is a super small place. This is, this is an obscure place. It's very unimpressive and it's very easy to miss. Listen to what one individual said about this place. He really, he describes it in the form of a question. Here's what the Gospel of John tells us, beginning in verse 45. Listen carefully. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of? Jesus of Nazareth. The son of? The son of Joseph. Here, I love this. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? What's the obvious answer? No. I mean, that's like saying, can anything good come out of your small town? Can anything good come out of Opelousas? Nothing wrong with Opelousas, but put your own small town in there. Can anything good come out of this small place? The idea here is, well, no, this is a small place. It's an obscure place. There's nothing really great about this place. I love that Nathaniel is so honest. He asked, can anything good come from this place? Meaning, okay, Jesus of Nazareth is out. Okay, Nazareth is a small place. There's nothing much about, okay, what's the big deal about Jesus if he's from this place? And Philip answered and said to him, well, come, come and 
Come and see for yourself, basically. Well, I, I love this because, well, the obvious answer to this question is no. No. Nothing good can come from this place. If you thought about Nazareth, you would not naturally think, oh, oh, yeah, Nazareth. That's a place with all the money. That's a place where you can get a great education. That's the place where kings are raised. <laughs> of, course, of course kings come from this place. Of course the Messiah is going to come from this place. No, you, you wouldn't think that at all. You would think this is a place that's been bypassed. There's not much there. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe today you're looking at your own situation. You're looking at your own marriage. You're looking at your own brokenness. You're looking at your own life and asking the same question. Can anything good come from this situation? And what's the answer to that if you know your Bible? Yes, because God specializes in those situations in your life. How many of y'all know God can bring good out of any bad situation? As a matter of fact, God is constantly at work for your everlasting good. And he, he causes all things, not just the good, but the good, the bad, and the ugly, all of it to work together for your good if you love him. I'm sure this lady, this single mom, this precious single mom, as she was seeing her trailer burn to the ground, thought, can anything good come from this? What's the answer? Yes, because that was the moment for us as a church to step up and to bless this woman. And now look at this, payment free. She's got people stepping up to bless her. Come on, how many of y'all want a new house too? <laughs> hey, can anything good come from that situation. Her testimony is being blasted across this community, and it's Jesus who gets the glory, but he uses his body, the church, you and me, to give, to see this blessing come to pass. Can anything good come from that situation? Answer, come on, y'all. Can anything good come from your addiction and from your brokenness and from your depression? Answer, Maybe you don't know it yet, but if you've been set free from it all, come on, you might not have much in life, but you got a testimony. You got the testimony of the chain breaking, yoke breaking, curse canceling power of God in your life. And people need to hear it because he who the Son sets free can be free indeed. If God sets you free, he can set them free too. Can I get an amen on Christmas Eve? Man, this is good stuff. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come from the trailer that burned to the ground? Can anything good come from your life? We know the answer. I, I think, though, the prophet Isaiah would step up both to Nathaniel and to us, all of us here who are asking that question, and I think he would say this, putting it all together. I know it looks bad, it looks bleak, it looks glum, but I think Isaiah would say, but it's not what you think. The packaging and the, the wrapping the way it looks from this outside perspective, it looks one way, but it's not what you think. There's more to it than what your eyes can see. Scholars point out that the word Nazareth, which stands for this city, it sounds like the Hebrew term for the English word branch. So if you were alive at that day and you heard this word Nazareth, well, it sounded like a Hebrew word that, well, translates as branch. And so it's possible when people heard the name of the city, they naturally thought of, well, a branch. 
Listen to what Isaiah the prophet said 700 years before the time of Christ in Isaiah 11.1. Listen carefully. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Let me read that latter part again. And a, a what? And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now quickly, let me describe what's going on. The nations have been cut to the ground, so to speak. The nation of Israel, Judah, the Assyrians, God judged them. You've got, if you picture these nations as a tree, well, they got cut to the ground. And if you looked at these nations, well, metaphorically, they are described as a stump. There's not much there. Once this beautiful tree, a beautiful forest, now it's all been reduced to a what? A stump. If you look at the stump, you're like, okay, it's just a stump. There's no life there. There's no fruit there. There's no branch there. It's just a stump from a tree that's been cut down. Well, (laughs) Isaiah is basically saying that from this stump, 700 years before the time of Christ, from this stump, from this tree, would come a deliverer, a messiah from an obscure place. From what looks like nothing would arise someone who is everything. A Messiah would come forth from this mess. A Savior would come forth from this stump in the line of David, but without the sin of David. A Messiah who's fully man and fully God. Two natures in one person. This Messiah would come from heaven. He's born of the virgin, conceived from on high. He's fully man, fully God, and he came to redeem the world from our sins. So right now, if you look at the stump, if you look at the nations, there's not much there. If you look at Israel, there's not much there. If you look at your situation, if you looked at Nazareth and Jesus in it, you would think, man, there's nothing there. But if you believe the word of God, God said through his word centuries before, from this cut down, broken down situation, from obscurity, a Messiah would come forth, a shoot would come forth, a branch would come forth, and that branch was the Messiah who would come to live, die, rise from death, and save all who believe in him so that today, look around, we are the fruit of the Messiah's life, death, and ministry to us. Can anything good come from this stump? Can anything good come from this broken down tree, this cut down tree? Answer, yes. From it we see a family tree. We see Jesus coming forth to do for us what only he could do. Can anything good come from my broken down, cut down life? Can anything good come from this small city? Man, God loves to use small things, small people, and small-looking circumstances to make a big, big impact. But if you're looking at it from this angle, if you look at the box and you're shaking the box and trying to look in the wrapping paper, if you just look with natural eyes only, well, Jesus doesn't seem like much, does he? If you're walking through the first century, and here comes Jesus walking down the street, if you didn't know what had been written about him, If you hadn't watched him act and heard him speak, well, you would think, well, Jesus is just a first century Jew. Isaiah 53 says that there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Meaning, if you looked at Jesus, you wouldn't be like, now that is the king of the universe. 
you look at him and think, he's a man. He is a first century, he is a Jewish man. But how many of y'all know he was way more than a man? Yes, he was a man, but he was the God-man. And if you receive this gift of Jesus, if you open his word, how many of y'all know this word to many people looks like just another book on a shelf? That's what it is to a lot of people. The Bible, it's just, it's just another religious book. And I remember back in my home growing up, man, we had a big old family Bible on the coffee table. And raise your hand if you had a family Bible, had a picture of Jesus on the front. Unfortunately, uh, on the front of that Bible was a white Jesus with brown and blonde highlights. How many of y'all know Jesus wasn't white? <laughs> but nonetheless, we had a big old family Bible, and it was so holy, no one ever read it. Praise God. But, but I, we, we had that Bible, and it sat there on the, on the living room coffee table. And it, it, it looked, for many, for many of us, for a while, just like another book. And for many people out there in the world, on one hand, you're going to get super holy. I'm not going to read it. Other people are like, well, you know, it's just another book. But how many of y'all know when you begin to open this book and you begin to read through it and you begin to receive God's words for what they are and you believe these words, how many of y'all know you realize this is not just another book? These are the words of life that have the power to set you free. But you've got to receive it you got to open it. Come on, y'all. you got to believe it. And when you believe it, it transforms you from the inside out. How many of y'all know this is not just another book? This is the very Word of God. And, man, you, I want to challenge you. Open it. Receive it. Open it. See what it has to say about Jesus. And it will show you very clearly that Jesus, well, he's not what you may have initially thought. He's more than you could ever imagine. He is more than we can ever imagine. So don't let the box, don't let Jesus' uh, obscure beginnings fool you. D don't, don't let the wrapping of, of Nazareth fool you. There's a blessing in this box. How many of y'all know Jesus is the only one. He is the only one conceived by the Holy Spirit. Did y'all know that? Jesus is the only one conceived by the Spirit. He's the only one born of a virgin. He's the only one who is both fully God and fully man. He's the only one without sin. He's the only one who can save you from sin. He is the only one from the Father and is the only way to the Father. He is our only hope. He overcame death. He rose back to life from his mother's womb to that empty tomb. Jesus is the fulfillment of scripture and the hope of the world. I'm talking about your Jesus and mine. He's all that and way more. Come on. Give him praise, y'all. This is who he is. But if you just think of him apart from this word and you think about, you know, maybe what you've heard about him, depending on what that is, you could think, well, this, you know, it's just... It's Jesus. He has Jesus, but man, we can really miss it. We can really miss him. And the way that we see him for all that he is, is we have to open his word. And I'm so thankful for this word. Aren't y'all thankful for the word of God? Because in it, God opens a window of revelation to see the Son. And if we see Jesus, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How many of y'all are thankful if you see Jesus? You've seen God. 
He is the Messiah for your mess. The Savior who stands in the stump of your life, in your marriage perhaps, that's been cut to the ground. Your confidence that's been cut to the ground. That relationship that's been cut to the ground. He is the Savior of the world who stands and shoots forth from the stump of our life to give us hope. What a great Savior he is. Let me say it again. What a great Savior he is. Question. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathaniel had to feel really stupid <laughs> after Jesus lived, died, and rose from death. How I many of y'all know he never asked that question again? Because it was clear. Oh, yeah. All of this from a Savior who was born in a manger. All of this from a Messiah who was raised in a small village. But I want you to lean in as we begin to close, and I want you to listen to what a pastor named James Allen Francis wrote about, about a century ago about Jesus. Listen carefully. He writes, Here is a man who was born in an obscure village as the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. And then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never uh, held an office. He never owned a home. He never had a family. He never went to college. He never put his foot inside a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He never did one of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He had nothing to do with this world except the naked power of his divine manhood. While still a young man, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. Another betrayed him. He was turned over to his enemies. He went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed upon the cross with two thieves. His executioners gambled for the only piece of property he had on earth while he was dying, and that was his coat. When he was dead, he was taken down and laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen wide centuries have come and gone, and today he is the center of the human race and the leader of the column of progress. He says, he writes, I am far within the mark when I say that all the armies that ever marched, all the navies that were ever built, and all the parliaments that ever sat, and all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man upon the earth as powerfully as has this one solitary life. Question, can anything good come from Nazareth? Today there are billions of us. We got brothers and sisters all around the globe. Black brothers and sisters. White brothers and sisters. We got all kinds of kinfolk all over the world, all bought with the blood, filled with the Spirit, adopted into the family, free from the law of sin and death, new creations, 
adopted, ransomed, redeemed, Jesus-loving brothers and sisters, all because of this man, this God-man who was raised in Nazareth, who came forth to lay down his life and to rise again for us. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh, yeah. Can anything good come from your Nazareth? Whatever that is. From the brokenness of your life. Can anything good come? Man, hope is a powerful thing, isn't it? And I'm going through some stuff personally. My family, we're going through some things personally. I've been through many things. Raise your hand if you've been through some things. We all have. If you don't have your hand up, you will. <laughs> Just reach over and say, bless your heart, you will. Just hang tight. It's coming. But how many of y'all are thankful that in whatever mess we face, we've got a Messiah who has the power to forgive us, to transform us, and to use everything the, the enemy meant for evil he can turn it and use it for good in our lives. Only Christians bought with the blood, standing on the promises, can have that hope and that confidence. Come on, y'all. He's that good. He's that good. He's that good. If you look at the cross as a package, you're like, well, this doesn't look like a gift. The wrapping. The, the box, all that it came in. You look at Jesus, and he's a condemned criminal. Can anything good come from the cross? Can anything good come from his death? You better believe it. Your eternal life. Can anything good come from his condemnation? What? Your justification. Oh, don't get me started. I'm going to preach another hour on Christmas Eve. I could go on and on and on, but you get the point. This Christmas season, we say Jesus is the reason for the season, and that's absolutely true. But Jesus is the point of history. <laughs> he is the Lord of every season, and he is the Lord of our lives. He is our only hope in this world, and I want you to join with me as we give him the praise that he deserves. Come on, give him your best today. Jesus, there's nobody like you. Come on, give him praise today. There's nobody like you, Jesus. There's no one like you. Born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, lived a perfect life, died a terrible death, rose from death, conquered the grave, enthroned on high. Come on, y'all. He's your Jesus. Nobody is like him. Nobody is like your Nobody's like your God. I want you to stay on your feet. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want you to close your eyes right now. And I want you to think about Jesus and everything that I've said about him. And my prayer is that you would be so moved by this Messiah, so mesmerized by his glory, that this Christmas season that you would fall down before him like the wise men who came from a thousand miles away that you would fall down before him give your best to him not to repay him you can't 
but to honor him with your life. As you sit around the table tonight, tomorrow, for a Christmas lunch or Christmas dinner, as you sit with your family, remember Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, he's the hope of the world. The greatest gift that has ever been given or will ever be given. And with your eyes closed right now, I know some of you came to church today, maybe just out of religious duty. Maybe for you, you come to Christmas uh, services and that's your maybe once a year thing. Listen, I'm so glad you're here. If you're brand new, maybe you've never been to church at all, but maybe this is just kind of a tradition. And either way, if you're here today, you don't really have a relationship with God. Listen, you can have one today. And the greatest gift is not what Jesus gives necessarily to you. The greatest gift is Jesus himself. The greatest gift is not received under a Christmas tree. The greatest gift was nailed to that Roman cross tree 2,000 years ago. And yes, Jesus died to give you life, to give you a relationship with the Father. And so today, if you came in and you'd say, Pastor Scott, man, I'm going through it. Can anything good come from this? Can anything good come from my life? Can anything good come from this situation? The answer is, if you believe in Jesus, absolutely, you better believe it, yes. Yes. And you may not even see the fruit of it right now. It may come years later, or it may be in eternity. But God is at work for the good, working all things together for the good of those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Scott, I want to begin a relationship with this great God that you preached about. I want my sins forgiven. Yes, I do. I want the guilt and the shame of my past removed. Guess what? All of those barriers have been removed through the blood of Jesus so that you can come home to God. Oh man, isn't that awesome? You can come home to God for Christmas. And I'm not going to single anyone out. I'm not going to ask you to even raise your hand if that's you. I'm going to ask for all of us. If you came in and you have a relationship with the Lord, if you don't, I want to give you an opportunity now to confess this with me. If you really want that relationship. Come on, everyone here. If you're born again, if you want to be born again, let's all, let's all together, let's lift our hands right now. Let's lift our hands. And I want you to say this after me. If you, if you believe it, say it loud and proud. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you're the son of God. And I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for me. Say this, I believe you rose from death to give me a place in heaven, purpose on earth, in a relationship with your Father. Say this, today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart, no turning back, no matter what it costs me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and thank God, come on, say it loud, thank God, heaven is now my home. And it's in Jesus' awesome name, everyone said on Christmas Eve,